goodness. We bought a mic. Oh my goodness. We bought a mic. We bought. That's fresh, baby. Oh man. Gonna take a sip of wine for this one. Mm. Hey. Take take me on a fucking journey, Ernest. God damn. Hello. I gotta I gotta plug our headphones back into the recorder because I needed the guys to hear that in the headphones. In HD. Mm. Surround sound 8K 8D. That's how I needed to hear it, honestly. Yeah. That's how this pod is gonna be like from yeah. now on. Uh moving moving on up. Uh hey, hello. Welcome. How's it going? How's everybody doing today? Mm. I've been better. Yeah. I'm sleepy, man. Um, because I was up until about 3 a.m. last night watching the movie that we're going to talk about later. I'm really curious <laughs> about whether or not that made a late experience a better late or night worse. <laughs> I think it's we'll get into it. It's a very disorienting movie. Yeah, so it's maybe it helps. To confuse. So trust me, that first scene, I was like, oh, I'm going to have to focus really hard. <laughs> My goodness. Yeah, like maybe I don't. So we're we're rounding out our PTA watch through with inherent vice today. Um, but before then, we got some stuff to get into, some ketchup. And we should probably introduce ourselves. I'm Ernest. I am I'm Drew. Mm, I'm Drew. No. I'm no. Hunter. All right. I am Vengeance. All right. So inherent vice. Is, there anything else <laughs> is that is that it? Is that what we want to do with a fandom? The Batman, <laughs> Bobby Patty, the Batty Daddy. Mm-hmm. Is that me? Daddy? I'm throbbing for him. Mm-hmm. You know, some people don't understand what I mean when, when I say, say Bobby Patty, the Batty Daddy. <laughs> I said that uh, to my girlfriend and her friend while we were uh, just in the car. I was like, have you seen the trailer yet for Robbie Patty, the baddie daddy? And I like just kept saying it and they had no idea. And they're like, you're not saying words. What are you doing? They I think my girlfriend legitimately thought I was having a stroke (laughs) in the car. Pattinson. Uh, Robert Pattinson, the the bat Pattinson. I like Battinson. I like that one. I didn't come up with that one, but that one has that one's less of a stretch. Uh, but we finally got our first look with uh, Le DC Fandom uh, online event that took the world by storm this past weekend. Um, Did it? It took the Internet by storm. At it, least. Took a, Twitter, it took a, the dark side of film Twitter. If you know what I'm saying. It. Uh, yeah. I mean. I'm I'm already uh, kind of past this at this point. I've heard so many takes and thoughts on it, but uh, friend, donor, supporter of the show, Brian Adams, uh, really wanted us to give our takes on this. So, Brian, we love you. I don't I don't think that he did actually, um, but uh, yeah, I'm glad Brian that, uh, was clamor. Yeah, he was he was just he was chomping at blowing the up my DMs, just like please, please talk about Batman. Um, please talk about the Snyder cut. So what was this teaser like? Um, have you, wait, have, have you, you not watched? seen it? No, I don't want to see it. 
Oh, see, I, I feel do, that because I'm yeah. the type of person that doesn't want to know shit going into a movie. But I am so hyped for this movie because of Matt Reeves, because I love those apes movies. And I just I'm all in already. I just I couldn't control myself. I've watched it like 10 times already. <laughs> so I have. um, I'm like 99 percent of the way there, like that. I am ready to go see this movie immediately. Day one. I the only things and this is nothing against Robert Pattinson, who is going to be incredible because he's an incredible actor and nothing against Matt Reeves, who is an incredible director. Um, But this is the ninth Batman movie. Yikes. And um, DC already said, like, what if we gave you a dark and gritty Batman? And now they're saying, what if we gave you a darker and grittier Batman? And it just I I I have faith in Robert Pattinson and Matt Reeves, but I just have just this little part of me that is like just kind of keeping, keeping up, keeping up my defenses. I don't want a Joker again. That's my concern with the Riddler, Paul Dano. Yeah. Oh no, believe me, Paul Dano. I'm, I'm all in. Oh, you're saying Joker, the film Joker. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Oh Christ. Okay. Uh, That was the last, I mean, that's the last time that DC put out a rated R superhero film. I know that that's not technically part of the DCEU, but. I mean, who even cares anymore? Yeah. This whole thing was like kind of a celebration and and a a new beginnings for the DC world. So you got Wonder Woman, Black Adam, The Flash, uh, The Suicide Squad with James Gunn. That could be fun. Some crazy, some craziness in there. I'm not going to say that it's not. It could absolutely be fun. Do I have to watch the other one? Uh, no. Yes. No, 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 yeah, no. yeah, yeah. We are going to we're going to all watch that. Uh, did you guys did you guys ever see Suicide Squad? No, no. Uh, no. It is. A, it's just like a total train wreck in every possible yeah, way. I don't I don't want to see that. Oh, my friends are heathens. No, I, uh, I I think that my favorite part of Batman the Batman trailer. It's just going to be called the Batman, right? That was kind of surprising to me. Yeah. I thought that was going to be like a temporary title. Yeah, I guess but. that's just what they're going with. Uh, the funniest part is because the Riddler looks to be the main baddie of this uh, of this movie. And the the ending shot of uh, the release date just says like 2021. But it's like question mark zero question mark one. And it's like, yeah, that sounds about right. We'll we'll see if when this comes out. Hey, I mean, Tenet's coming out next week. So. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. I what do you guys think the box office is going to be for Tenet? Because I guess like 25 million. Yeah, that's million. that's a solid guess. 50 is like the cap. That's the hard. I mean, I, I, California theaters aren't open. Um, are New York theaters open? I think they might. I, some New York theaters might be open to some extent. So it can't be more than like 40 tops. Yeah. Um, you guys want to talk about Justice League? Uh, hashtag the Snyder Cut. Dude. I have I have news for you guys. It looks like Justice League. It looks like a major lift. <laughs> the third, the fifth. I so something happened. The biggest <laughs> Jesus. I so first of all, when I first watched that trailer, I legitimately I thought it was like a joke. Like I thought that it was like a fan edit of Justice League. Yeah, hey, that's kind of what it is. The use of the <laughs> Buckley Hallelujah in there, the slow acoustic, and I heard there was a secret call. No, nope, that's the real. Uh, that's the real trailer for the Snyder Cut. Um, 
And if uh, that didn't sell you, what if I told you that instead of just being the same two hour movie it was before, it's actually going to be four hours long at this point, man. Civilization is collapsing. So what else do we have to do? Um, the give it to me. You saw what Zack Snyder said on Twitter, right? That was the fun. That this is a movie for grownups. Yeah. yeah. So Scott Mendelson, <laughs> critic, yeah, was like, "Hey, basically Love said it. what you said." He was like, "So it looks like it's the same movie. Like, what's the big deal?" And he said, "You said you enjoyed the theatrical cut of Justice League. Like, you enjoy your Saturday morning cartoons. Well, this is made for grownups. So Whoa. you're not in the demographic." Ooh. <laughs> Also, I hate cool of you to comment on a leaked <laughs> teaser. <laughs> Calm I, down, you fucking dude, bitch. I, I hate Zack Snyder so much. Like, if I didn't, like, detest him before now, just all of yeah. this has made me really hate him. Yeah, he, he's literally doing the burn that you do on a four-year-old when you're five. He's saying mm -hmm. you're a baby yeah. <laughs> to this critic. Okay, so there, there's, there's some things here. So talking about the Batman to meme you would think would be better. But in reality, that conversation is just like, we all love this movie. We all want to see this movie. It looks great. It, there's not a lot to like get into with the Batman. It looks like a great movie with the little footage that we have seen. Snyder Cut, on the other hand, there's a lot. There's a lot to kind of dig into that because Zack Snyder at this DC fandom thing, he was championing the hashtag release the Snyder cut movement as being this wholesome, very like good movement for cinema and for fans of comic books and these characters. And there's just this dissonance between what he's saying and the reality of how most of these people behave on the internet and how vicious they can be. And granted, like I'm sure that there's a lot of release the Snyder cut people who are totally fine and, and, Aren't I disagree. Vicious. Yeah, I, well, the, they the, might the, be not vicious, but they're not fine. <laughs> they're not doing OK well, mentally. It's, it's Trumpism, isn't it? It's like saying that, like, you guys are doing all this good things and all this kind of stuff. But it's like breeding toxicity right. and like just really, really horrible and viciousness on the Internet. That's unbearable. It's yeah. really like I don't I don't spend any time in comment sections on Twitter because it's just it's literally always bad. Uh and so because I have a well curated feed, I have never seen a single person excited for the Snyder cut. Not once. It's mostly in the ads of other. People. Yeah, it's in the comments. Yeah, because like no one that I would ever want to hear from. Right. Is excited for this uh, longer version of a bad movie. <laughs> Why would I you said, want this? I sent our film chat a screen cap of the new villain Darkseed. Darkseed. <laughs> Yeah. That shit looks like a fucking PlayStation 2 cinematic. Yeah, no. The funniest thing I saw was uh I think that friend of the pod Harry sent it that was Dark Seed that had like the Nintendo 64 <laughs> logo on it. Like, I just I can't believe that this is actually happening. I this is arguably like the top five worst things to happen in 2020. We're in the collapse, baby. Um embrace yeah. it. Let's go down. We're all going down. Uh, was there anything else at DC? I know there was Wonder Woman. I haven't watched that trailer. Colin Farrell is Richard Kind. <laughs> His makeup. As Oswald Cobblepot slash the Penguin. So I'm guessing, I'm hoping that it doesn't have the issue of too many villains. Like that's always kind of, I mean, that was the problem. 
one of very many problems with like the Schumacher Batman and Robins and stuff where it's just like there's too many bad guys to keep track of. I'm hoping that this will just kind of have Penguin in the background, maybe yeah. show up for a couple of scenes. I want but it's Dano mainly about Dano. Yeah, I, I I need Dano. I need that to be the core of this story. Uh, everyone's been talking about how this looks and feels like kind of like a Fincher noir detective type of deal. And if that's what it is, fuck yeah, fucking give it to me. I think Pattinson looks great in the suit. Um, I think the whole vibe of the movie looks great. So basically all my hopes and dreams are coming true. All right. That's that's the end of it. All right. Yeah. All right. Um, all based off of okay. <laughs> three minute trailer. Yeah. <laughs> With 30 percent of the footage of the movie complete. Um, speaking of uh, toxicity on the Internet, I just wanted to do like two minutes on uh, the NBA right now. The Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, yeah. What is going on? Shout out to the Hunter Milwaukee is reporting Bucks. from the ground right now. I am. I am live from Orlando, Florida uh, on the ground floor. <laughs> uh, call me a uh, Wojobly. Um, no. No. OK. All right. I tried to make it work. Um, Sham Shimobly. What? <laughs> I was trying to do a Shams Sharania thing. I, you know what? I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna pass it. We're just gonna leave it there. Ernest, go ahead and clip that uh, later in post. Um, so we're in playoffs right now. Yes, uh, we are in the playoffs, and right before Game Five of the Bucks Magic series, um, the Milwaukee Bucks did not say anything to anybody. The Orlando Magic just showed up to the court, ready, ready. to play the game, oh, man. and the Bucks never showed up. And they went on strike for the game and they said we are refusing to play due to another black man getting shot Jacob by the Blake. police. Yeah, Jacob Blake. Um, and the NBA did what no other sports association would do, which is they canceled the rest of the games for that evening and for tonight. Um, and the season is going to continue, but they are kind of on hold right now. They had to, if they're going to put black lives matter on the court, yeah. well, like that's, 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 they have to go with what the players want because they are kind of the, the guiding piece of where this sort of voicing of the movement should yeah. go. And a lot of the narrative around this has been, uh, you know, from the corrupt, like the wrong side has been sort of like a, wow, I wish I could just uh, not go to work or whatever, but I'm not making millions of dollars. Um, that is a really silly point of view for a lot of reasons, obviously. But the main one is that uh, you should think you should actually wish that you could not go to work. Yeah. You like striking is a valuable thing, regardless of how much money you're making. Mm -hmm. It's a way to make a point to organizations, yeah. especially if you're on national television. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well it's huge for them. It's incredible. Um, that that is just like a tactic to to shame millionaires for striking is to imply that people that make less money can't strike and they absolutely can. Yeah. I mean, and it's I. I really like I am 100 percent with the players and everything that they're doing, because a lot of them have been speaking out already about the NBA wanting them to do more. They're saying that, yes, you put Black Lives Matter on the court. We have slogans like how many more or say her name on the back of my jersey. But I could still be doing more if I would have stayed at home and stayed in my community. And some players I know Jalen Brown for the Celtics has said this. Uh, Grant Hill for the Milwaukee Bucks has said this, that like they want to leave the bubble at this point to go march and protest and be a part of all of this and their heads not in the game it's 
just I mean, I don't know what I expected from the Internet uh, that for some reason I thought maybe people will have some sort of sensitivity to it. But the toxicity, namely on Twitter, surprisingly, Reddit has been a haven of people just being like, we support the players and they're doing what they want to do. But on Reddit, on Twitter, everybody is just like Jacob Blake was a terrible human being. He got charged for sexual assault. It's like, yes. He might be not the best person. He does not deserve to die. No person deserves to die. And no to person deserves to get in the back seven times. Yes, unarmed. It's Christ. It's one of those things. It's just really toxic. I'm I'm a hundred percent with the players. Even if the I know the postseason is scheduled to come back right now, but even if just because also I mean there's billions of dollars on the line right now to keep the games going. Yeah. To keep the games going from TV ad revenue, all this kind of stuff, not to mention the players contracts and everything else like that. And just being owned by millionaires. Um, But if they choose to not continue to play us, or if a lot of players choose to go home, I fully support that. Even if my Boston Celtics, if they lose like, and they just get fucking wrecked, I don't even care because if they're out there doing what, they need to basketball is such a minor thing in the grand scheme of things whenever it comes to actually social justice. So, mm. and uh, I think uh, a great point, I don't remember who made it exactly, but I think it was a player who said, why should we provide a distraction from this for millions of people? Mm-hmm. You know, if we're not around, then you have to look at it. Um, and that's a great point. The two, uh, uh top seeded teams in the western conference the lakers and the clippers both voted to leave the mm-hmm. bubble which is huge huge news and they're still in the playoffs um yeah all the well all the teams have uh agreed today to uh resume play uh at some point but that is a massive deal that like two teams that have like giant stakes yeah. in remaining in the playoffs yeah including lebron J- lebron james when they said when they said that they wanted to leave the bubble and people some people were like no you should stay lebron just like left the meeting because yeah. he's pissed about like, this like if, that it's if the orlando magic had voted to leave the bubble everyone would be like okay like <laughs> yeah, go, go like, ahead <laughs> go drive 25 minutes home okay yeah I guess. We, I we're literally know. we're about to play the game that got us eliminated <laughs> from the bubble so but like these are teams that like it really, you know, there are high stakes for them. And they have determined that those stakes are irrelevant considering what's happening, which is a great thing to see. Yeah. And, and you know, the the whole like social unrest side of things, it's like you see all these protests happening, marches, massive, massive uh, groupings of people like coming together in solidarity. And yet nothing changes, really. You know, the same sort of cyclical thing just comes back around and to be a uh, athlete that has a voice and has a platform. Do it, man. Fucking do something about it. And and if the league doesn't like it because money is lost and and, you know, higher ups are shook, then that's part of the problem you know well i mean i think that one of the things that really got to me that like i'm just really like proud of the nba and i'm happy that i am an nba fan because 
this would never happen in the NFL. <laughs> like it would, there is a 0% chance that this would ever happen. That one, a team would go ahead with a strike and two, that the league that they are in would support them doing that. Yeah. It's the same league that blackballed Colin Kaepernick until he was out of the mm-hmm. league. Well, like, it takes the is, whole team being on the same page. It right? does. But even still, like you would still have the owners or the coaches or somebody else that would kind of step in and do this. The NBA is willing to put their playoffs on hold. Um, and, uh, the NFL's answer to the Black Lives Matter movement is before the first game of the season, uh, after the national anthem, we'll play the black national anthem, which is literally a former slave song. <laughs> so that's that's oh. where we're that's where we're at right now with the NFL. Well, yeah, it's fancy football starting up though soon. So on a well, on a related note, I've been watching uh, Hard Knocks, the HBO uh, perennial docu series. Is, is it Ravens? No, this no. year it's both of the LA teams okay. they're following. So the the Chargers and the Rams. Uh, Must be fascinating with the pandemic. It is. I mean, yeah, there was almost too much table setting involving that because the entirety of episode one just had to be all about COVID because it changed. Like everything is fucked because yeah, of it. like they this upcoming season is going to be a clusterfuck uh, most likely, and but yeah, they they showed part of a it was i think i believe it was like a voluntary zoom call that players could do uh on the chargers that was arranged with like the president of a foundation that was in support of black lives matter um where he sort of like fielded questions and like started a, a dialogue with these people and you 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 just got a good cross section of like who you're dealing with in terms of players in the nfl because there was one guy the i think the long snapper of the chargers was like yeah, I don't know. I just like I know a lot of people in the military and it's like, I, you know, I don't, I don't think that I would kneel <laughs> like it's like brother. And then they they have this really measured and thoughtful discussion about it. And then at the end of it, you can see he's just still pissed off. Like, yeah, he, nothing entered his brain. You know, the whole time he was thinking like, yeah, I'm, I'm stubborn. I'm stubborn. I'm yeah, stubborn. I'm going to uh, shoot. I'm going to shoot everyone. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just like, yeah, the, uh, the NFL has much closer ties to the South to con- conservatism to the military. Yeah. Like they have contractual yeah. ties to the military. Unlike they have concussed brains. They have a lot more brain damage. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So recommend uh, Hard Knocks as football. always. <laughs> Hard Knocks is a really great show considering the fact that like every episode is put together in a couple of weeks. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. it's during training camp and training camp is still happening. Sometimes, I mean, sometimes it's put, it's kind of put together in a week. Like back whenever they used to have preseason games, yeah. they would be covering the games that had just happened. Like they were, they cranked mm, them out really Hard quick Knocks, and it's always uh, a documentary game south think, park so would you say that this is a? <laughs> would you say that where does this season lie in because i haven't actually gotten around to watching the season of hard knocks the thing is with hard knocks is that it drastically differs on uh, the quality level depending on the entertainment value of the players and the coaches yeah and stuff. this i mean this isn't as much entertaining as it is interesting because we are following two different teams that are, you know, in the same city dealing with the same obstacles where, so we're, it's, it's very procedural. Like you're watching insanely complicated procedures that have been invented like a week ago to try to avoid COVID. Mm-hmm. And it's very, very interesting to see how they're trying to defeat, like how to, how to circumnavigate like this insane uh, process that they have to deal with now. So it's, it's a, yeah, it's an interesting watch next year. They should do the, the bucks to get some Tom Brady in there mm. riding around Tampa with the little scooter. The best season of hard knocks in history was the Brown season. The Brown season was just fascinating on so many levels. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's, mm. that's my vote. Well, we bought a mic stands with black lives matter. Um, and it's sad that we're kind of 
right back in it, even after the kind of swell that we saw at the beginning of the summer. But just got to keep pushing. Keep pushing, man. Keep doing what you're doing. Everybody who's out there fighting. There are cities that haven't stopped having marches at mm-hmm. all. Yeah. It just the attention just went away. But every single day there have been people out there. So, you know, do what you got to do. As long as you're not being destructive, as long as you're being constructive, it's important. Um, OK, let's get to catch up. I've got two quick things before we get to our review. Um the Legend of Korra is on Netflix. Yeah. I just started season three. Oh, wow. You are plowing through it. Yeah. I'm halfway through season one right now. So season one um, is, I think, based on my conversations with Harry, is a was was me- originally meant to be a miniseries. Mm-hmm. And it feels that way. The season finale of, of one is like, oh, this was just a contained story. It's a damn good one, too. Two, seems like they didn't know kind of where to take it beyond that. There's still a lot of really, really good stuff in there, especially because they they explore kind of like the spirit realm in the Avatar world and the connection that the Avatar has to that and like the past lives. There's even one episode in particular that's like this big flashback episode to the first Avatar ever. So cool. So, so, so fucking cool. Um, season three is a whole other thing. And it, I would I would spoil to kind of, to even say what season mm. three is about would be a spoiler. But I'm just now getting into it and I'm really digging it. Um, it's not as good as Avatar. I mean, how could it be? Avatar is a perfect show. Listen to our our uh, Pantheon ep on it. But this is a worthy successor. I think it. it it takes place like 70 years after the events of Avatar or something like that. Um, some of the characters are still alive, like Katara is there, but she's mm-hmm. an old lady. But more than anything, it's an expansion of the world. And it's expansion of like the lore, the the bending, um, everything that's established in the original show is just kind of expanded and built upon because it's starting to get into a world that's more industrialized. Mm -hmm. There's cities, there's cars, there's radio. There's all of these things that are more akin to our reality. That's kind of clashing with this more kind of, uh, like mythological. Exactly. Exactly. So I love it. I think it's great. Obviously again, it's not as good. But it's on Netflix right now. It's been hanging out in the top 10, just like Avatar mm. was when it first dropped. Yeah, on Netflix, so I was talking with I was talking with friend of the pod, uh, Nate, about Cora um, because he's he also he saw Cora back whenever it first came out and he really enjoyed it. But his main problem with it was and it was something that I didn't know until he told me about was that the thing with Cora is that it only got renewed one season at a time. Oh, so so season one, they thought that that was the only thing. And then season two, they were told this is your last season. And then finally, whenever it hit season three and four, they were like, all right, you guys can finish out this story. But that's why the first couple seasons seem kind of like I can already feel like I'm almost halfway through about halfway through season one. Uh, They're shorter. It feels like it's kind of already starting to hit there. I do love the way that is setting up this whole like really deep seated feud between benders and non-benders yeah. it's really cool plus just seeing kind of the exploration of pe- more people using lightning and metal bending and all this kind Blood of stuff bending. which is really cool yeah uh it's 
Oh my god, the 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 metal bending, the where that goes is so so cool. Oh, I love it. I think it's great. Um, so that's Legend of Korra. Check it out on Netflix right now. Other thing I watched this week is The Searchers, the classic uh John Wayne film. Have you guys ever mm. seen this? Mm-mm. I'd never yeah. seen this before. This is a a John Ford joint. John Ford who actually has the record yep. of the most best director wins of anybody. You know how many? Four. Yeah. Yeah. This wasn't one of them, uh, which is shocking because it's a very well-directed film. It's 1956, uh, John Wayne. Um, I just kind of caught it on TCM because I, I stayed at a little motel at the beach and I just threw on the TV to see what was on. It took me a while to get to TCM. Had to go through some uh, some Guy Fieri some property brothers. How did you not stop? Just right. I actually that. did. I okay, did for good, a little while. Good. good. Yeah. Um, uh, Guy Fieri has mm-hmm, a show mm-hmm. that's not guys grocery games. Yeah. <laughs> Don't triple G. Are triple you kidding me? Triple G. <laughs> you are going to like try and spring news on me about Guy Fieri's life. Okay? It was one of the worst things I've ever seen in my life. Great concept, though. The idea of like having to make something just based on this very limited grocery budget. Yeah, well, it's it's a uh, worse version of Chopped. Yes, exactly. I think, but I think, guys, grocery games. Uh, it's very good depending on the contestants. It's a very contestant reliant show. Like there was one um, where they did like a super spicy thing that was actually really funny because there's this very small Vietnamese woman who's like making the judges like cry <laughs> like these huge dudes like there's like I don't even I can't even eat this food and stuff and she's just like saying they're like giggling yeah I mean I'm a huge triple D guy I had no idea that this trivia grocery what's it called again guys grocery triple, games. triple, triple G. G okay <laughs> triple D and triple G come on bro I look, I, I was know. named after Guy Fieri's son, Hunter Fieri, yes, because I right. am the son of Guy Fieri. Okay. Well, breaking news yeah. on the bam. Um, so, yes, eventually I did end up on TCM and the searchers had just started. I missed like the first maybe five, ten minutes. And I was like, all right, let's fucking do this. Let's watch this whole thing. 1956, John Wayne, incredible movie. It's on HBO Max right now just because HBO Max has like the TCM library. But if you're looking for like a movie to watch that came out before the year 1960, which most people don't do. But this is like one of the ones to check out. This is like a quintessential movie. I I wouldn't call it like like high tier shit just because it hasn't aged exactly that well. Is John Wayne canceled? Um. Okay. so John Ford is. So there's there's some nuance there because the representation of Native Americans in this movie is pretty kind of atrocious. As with every John John Ford movie. But it's it's done in a way that doesn't glorify the white characters hugely. <laughs> it's it, it paints the Native Americans in a bad light, but it also paints the white people in a bad light, too. It kind of just paints this version of the wild west where like everybody's shitty and there's no real heroes and there's no real villains so i kind of like that about it i kind of liked how like the john wayne character isn't your typical hero he's kind of extremely fraught, flawed and broken and 
by the end of the movie, you think he's going to be redeemed. And then he just kind of isn't. He's kind of left in the same mm-hmm. place where he began. And he's still sort of like this loner guy that that never quite clicked with his relationships and the people in his life. The big thing about this movie, though, is that it is, it is incredibly influential. Like there's so many things in this movie that you just saw replicated in other movies. Like in Star Wars, when Luke Skywalker comes back to his ranch and uh, his aunt and uncle are burnt to a crisp, that is from the searchers, like to a T. There is a scene that is like exactly like that. And just the way John Ford kind of shoots these wide open vistas it's shot in Monument Valley, like in the West. And I think it's Arizona. So you have like these big rocks and shit. And up until that point in filmmaking, nobody had ever really done that. Yeah. Everything it was like very contained and like crafted in studios and on sets and things like that. And this was like one of the big movies to be like, let's go out to the desert. Yeah. I mean, that's one of John Ford's biggest legacies is that he changed the way that people shoot movies that they decided, actually, we don't need to do like Gone with the Wind where we just build these beautiful backdrops that look like the place. We could just go to the place and shoot there. And it pays off. It looks Mm. amazing in 2020 on on a shitty motel TV. (laughs) Like it looks fucking great. So crisp. So clear to you talking about them handling the race relations a little bit better. I wonder if that is because this is 1956. So it is more later stage John Ford. So maybe and John Wayne as well. So maybe he had done enough of the classic uh, cowboys versus Native Americans here. So it was kind of like a reflection on it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think that John Wayne, you know, he was already established at this point, but he kind of does play like. A sort of commentary on the type of character that he was known to be. You know, Mm -hmm. he's not this like big golden hero in this movie. He's kind of like honestly just kind of a shitty dude who has a bit of a thirst for blood and vengeance, uh, which is not the type of character you'd you'd see him play up until that point. Watching this movie, though, I I haven't seen a lot of John Wayne movies. Um, You can see why he's a big deal like immediately every line delivery is just like dude holy shit i mean this guy's good (laughs) there's a reason why like if you ask like the jack nicholson's and anybody of that generation that we now look at as the like golden generation of actors they say that they all looked up to either john wayne or clark gable and there's a reason why, like if you watch any of their old performances, he, you're like, oh, you guys are just doing like an impersonation of this per- per- performance that they're doing in this movie. Gable Gable was never a big action guy, though, was he? No, not so much the action, but that kind of natural charisma and swagger yeah. that a lot of people have. The 70s that kind of because Wayne's like riding horses yeah. and shit. And well, he's he's, like, he's a much more physical actor than Gable was. Yeah. But. And 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 just again, his line delivery, he has like this gravitas to everything he says, this importance to it and not in a pompous way, just like like, damn, this this guy gets it. I could I could I could go to a tequila bar on the Mexican border and just get fucking trash with this guy. <laughs> Let's go. 
So that's The Searchers, uh, 1956. It's a classic. I, I want to make time to watch more like old movies like mm. this. I, I wish I could carve out more time. Well, just do an Oscar watch there with me. You can, it's but not too late. Just go ahead and hop movie backwards. This did any Oscars. But hey, you can see uh, another uh, John Ford movie, a movie that I really uh, despised, actually, How Green Is My Grass. Um, why would I want to watch it's that? it's known it's Great now name it's now it's known <laughs> or no how, how green is my valley that's what uh, it is yeah, um, how green is my grass <laughs> how green is my, that would have actually been it's a movie that's known for being the movie that beat Citizen Kane no way yeah. um, oh my god that's awesome yeah it's uh, good on you John not uh, not not great not not what you want all right so let's sift on over from the wild west of the i guess uh 1800s the late 1800s to, to the wild west of the late 1960s to a little guy named doc Spo, spoke sportello sportello in paul thomas anderson's inherent vice <laughs> <laughs> what's up doc so this is a weird one huh yeah really weird yeah so this was mine and drew's first time watching you had seen this movie before right ernest yes but uh (laughs) i don't know how much that helped me out (laughs) uh because i was equally as lost this second time as i was the first time um and, you know, going into it, I knew how kind of disorienting it would be. So I knew it wasn't worth it to try to follow it. So I just kind of I, I was totally fine with just kind of like sitting back, relaxing and just being OK with not knowing what the hell was going on in this movie <laughs> and just letting it kind of wash over me and not in the way that the master did last week when we talked about that that that's a movie that will wash over you and you don't know what's going on but you still have a severe emotional reaction to it in this one the the nature of it the story that's being told to me that 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 hands-off approach that i've been talking about uh with with pta storytelling it almost becomes a problem in this movie a little bit it becomes a little bit of a disadvantage um that being said though it's full of amazing performances yeah it's and worth it's, watching and it's it's so funny and hilarious like it's, like, it's so it's so weird <laughs> but if you're trying to follow like what's going on in the plot you're not going to have a good time. You're going to be frustrated. You're going to be a little bit bored. You're going to, there, there's so much that doesn't click. Um, that becomes a little bit of a hindrance to the movie, but it's PTA. So there's still so much to love. That isn't the plot, the costumes, the music, one thing, the look of it. Here's my, uh, Drew's tip of the week for watching this one. <clears throat> 
turn the subtitles on because they are mumbling <laughs> the whole time. You, you're going to miss also because it's it's like highly written dialogue because it's based on a Thomas Pinchon novel. That's true. Yes. Uh, and yeah, it's, and it's not again. in the same way that There Will Be Blood is based on like a Upton Sinclair. It's uh, There Will Be Blood is very loosely based on that yeah. novel. This is like heavily. This is directly based off of a novel and a lot of lines are pulled directly from it. Yes. So the flowery uh, language we're getting. Uh, there you're going to get turns of phrases that you just don't hear. So your ears are not going to be able to process what you're hearing, especially if Joaquin Phoenix is mumbling it through his deviated <laughs> septum. Um, so that was a big, uh, that uh, scene two, I understood a lot more than I understood scene one. I'll say, um, I will also say that scene one wastes no time with dropping us straight into some really complicated shit. Yeah. Uh, it is very exposition heavy dialogue between yep. two characters. Like you, you warned me about this hundred too. They are talking about a bunch of characters that we don't know. Yeah. And we don't meet for a while in yeah. some cases. And you have to like catch the name of the person. And if you don't catch it, you'll feel even more lost. Yeah. So you, to, you almost feel like you have to like have like a pen and paper to like write down the names of these characters. And like, I, I watched this movie with Lee and Past the halfway point, as we were rounding out into like the the final kind of act, I looked over at her and I could see her like attently, like leaning into the movie and sort of like thinking back to other major plot points and kind of trying. I could see her like doing the detective work of like piecing all these desperate threads together. And I was like, girl, don't. It's not worth it. Like this shit makes no sense. Just let it let it flow. So I, I just want to push back a little bit on that because I actually think that I get this movie. OK, OK. <laughs> but here's the thing. So I've been reading a bunch of stuff about this and maybe this is kind of helping my understanding of this movie is reading. Much Hunter right now um, is Charlie Day with the court yeah, just all over around stuff. No, so Paul Thomas Anderson, uh, of course, he is a big fan of. um. How do you pronounce his uh, the Pinchon? The Pin, Pinchon. Pinchon. Oh, okay. Pinchon. Yeah. I, yeah. Pin, just I always uh, mispronounce that name. Uh, turns out, but so he's always been a big fan of this guy. Um, got the movie rights as soon as it the book came out. He immediately wanted to get this thing. He wrote this movie while he was writing the script to the master. At the same time, makes a lot of sense that both of them have they're very different movies, but they do have a similar like vibey feel. If to you them. put them both together, um, maybe they make perfect sense. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so but another thing that PTA talked about, because this is the closest thing he ever gets to going full genre. I mean, I think that the other example is probably Punch Drunk Love, which has like some rom-com aspects to it. But this is just kind of straight up. He's like, I want to make my version of a Serpico or of a Chinatown. And yeah. he did a bunch of research. I was reading through some of his influences. And one of the things he says, he's just like, I realized that while watching all these crime thrillers, how people uh, get the information to solve the case or how they get from point A to point B is always the least interesting part. So he just put none of that in this movie. That's why there's like, if you look at it from the outside, it can look like this is a movie full of connective tissue and with no meat. But I think that it's actually the opposite of that. And it's just all meat. And there's nothing like you have to put the connective tissue in between to connect these 
two main storylines that we have going on that are kind of tied together by this golden fang enterprise yes um i fucking love this movie i really i described this movie on letterboxd as it's serpico meets the beach bum um which is a lot of people compared Crooked it cops. a lot of people compared it Crooked to the big lebowski cops, man um the big lebowski and fear and loathing whenever it came out but i think it's closer to the beach bum uh and that the central character just kind of like stumbles upwards at many points yeah. <laughs> his like he is notes so fucked up in yeah. this movie well and I PTA does this in several of his movies, but this is probably the biggest example of it where he is actively trying to put you in the headspace of the central character. Yeah. Like Doc is somebody who is so fucked up all the time. He's just doing copious amounts of drugs. He has all no the idea time. how many blunts and or joints he smokes. There's so many things in the editing of this movie where you are actively disoriented. There's one moment where they're in a car. Doc is saying in the passenger seat they go away, they come back and he's sitting in the driver's seat and there's no explanation as to why he's there or anything like That's that. That's a great scene. There's some other shots. Yeah, we'll talk about Martin Short. Martin uh. Short and Owen Wilson are the two MVPs of this movie. Um, but there's like another couple shots that are like disconnected that it, on this, like it could from the outside in again, look like bad editing where it'll be like walking walking past a chair and then I'll have another shot where he's like standing on the other side of the chair when he should be on the opposite side. And it's all these kind of little pieces that are meant to kind of throw you through a loop. So I do recommend just kind of vibe with this movie. I think uh, Matt Singer uh, has a great review on Letterboxd for this movie where he says, uh, um, every ticket to Inherent Vice should come with either the choice of a joint or a second ticket to Inherent Vice. <laughs> you will need one or the other. That's yeah. fair. Um, I This is probably, I, I'm going to say it's definitely my least favorite PTA movie. Um, and I think the biggest ingredient that explains that because it has so much of what we love about the man, there are a lot of good calls made that you included there. Like there, there are a lot of smart choices he made, uh, with how to get this story across, but this is very directly based on a novel. And I feel like he sort of hamstrung himself because sneakily one of his greatest assets is his screenwriting skills he's mm -hmm. an unbelievable screenwriter yes he's really really good typically at writing just enough dialogue but not too much and this movie has too much this is this movie is all dialogue uh which is fitting of the genre of course but we don't get a lot of that unbelievable filmmaking the the showing not telling that he is best at and we also get a little bit of a tonal imbalance because he's trying. I mean, there's just this is based on a pinch on novel. That man writes insanely dense and complicated books. It's probably one of the hardest authors that you could possibly try to make into a film. Yeah, I was going to uh, mention Thomas Pynchon because or Pynchon. I, I've just always called him Pynchon. I, I Googled um, it and it said Pynchon. Yeah, I, I guess I, was, it, I thought it's it was kind of Frenchish. But uh, yeah, uh, for people who don't know who he is, uh, he won the MacArthur Grant. He is a like certified genius. And depending on who you ask, people either say that uh, his books are nonsense and they're bad or like literary snobs will say that he's a genius and he's the greatest writer of our time. Uh, he's like a recluse who just lives by himself and just like n almost nobody who has ever even worked with him has ever like met him. 
mm-hmm. or even heard him speak before. Very, very few photos of him exist. Yeah. Particularly if you want to see him, I don't know, in the last 50 years, yes. <laughs> you're going to have a tough time. Uh, yeah, he's a fascinating character. And um, I like it's it's clear as day, like why PTA would gravitate toward this guy, because a lot of what you just described also describes PTA, not so much the recluse side, but the uh, polarizing uh, you know, di- filmography slash bookography, as uh, as everyone calls it in my uh, Bib- condo. Bibliography? Bib- bibliography. Um, that to me is That's more- if you write Bibles. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, so to me, it, it almost felt like it wasn't written by PTA. And that makes it worse because uh, movies that are written by PTA are always incredible. <laughs> But there's there's moments that do feel. That oh, way. there are. It just it, another hallmark characteristic of his films to me is the unbelievable unbe- flow of tone. Uh, and this movie didn't quite have that for me. Like it certainly has a flow because you have to follow the flow. You're not like you said, you're not going to be following what's going on. But tonally, there was there was whiplash sometimes in a way that I wasn't used to with his movies, because usually I'm just following and I will be, you know, terrified in one scene laughing in the next scene like very emotional in the scene following and yet it'll all feel uh cohesive in this case there were like a few moments of pure like slapstick silly comedy Mm -hmm. that were unbelievably funny uh and i wanted more of to be honest Mm -hmm. uh because then you know there'd be a 20 minute gap and then like you know a 10 minute long like insane uh monologue on like the nature of man uh and there wasn't enough in between to justify like that shift right. in feeling for me. Yeah. But to the point about you being in the head of this character, I think that so many of these criticisms just can get folded into what the what he's trying to do by putting you in the headspace of this character. Right. So not being able to follow what's going on not having an emotional through line, not being able to connect with the the disparate character dynamics and and these these threads Mm. like that's this character. That's Doc. Like everything that you're feeling watching this movie is to some extent the same thing that he's feeling. Definitely. I'm just I'm only willing to excuse so much. Right. No, I I get that. that on those grounds, because then I could just write a movie where like the guy's really stupid and doesn't make any sense. And then like the movie sucks and doesn't make any sense. And like, it's like, yeah, get it. Yes. Which is why, (laughs) which is why this movie can only be so good, because first of all, like the fact that it doesn't register an emotional response, uh, a significant emotional response is a huge kind of fault, but also like we we've seen what PTA can do and we've seen him being able to give us these hugely sweeping, like emotionally investing movies that just hit you on this incredible level. And this one just doesn't have that. Yeah. See, I don't like there are like key scenes that are like burned in my head, though, from this movie that like I really, really like this movie did like it just made me happy while watching it. I just like well, kind of it's a well-made movie. I just had yeah. like a smile on my face like it was just a fun vibe. And like 
I can see there is like a cult of people of like devout PTA fans who have this as like their number one PTA movie. There's an entire podcast I looked up about doing, trying to do stuff. There's an entire podcast that's uh, dedicated. They have an episode, like an hour long episode for every scene of this movie. Oh, fuck. like it's I, I, I don't have the name of the podcast. There's, yeah, there's, I apologize for that. But yeah, that's it. Like I'm, I'm criticizing this because it's my least favorite of a master. But this is like. Uh, you know, if this is the movie. worst thing that he does, yeah, that's that's incredible then. because we're still dealing with like the uh, cinematography wise, and uh, it you looks gorgeous, yeah, like just like h- how he's filling the frame with wardrobe and then also just set decoration. I would say like maybe half of the shots in this movie contain every color in the rainbow. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> every like that is the focus of this. You know, there were the blues in the master. This movie has every color all of the time. Yep. It is it is a kaleidoscopic movie, uh, which is fitting for the pinks and the greens. subject matter. In the time. Also, I feel like really underrated Johnny Greenwood score. Like the yeah. the music cues are really good in this movie for setting you in the time period. But like it's talk about like this dr- movie having this like wild dreamlike quality to it his score a lot of times is also like almost juxtaposed to a scene like he has like this very like tense and like almost nightmarish music not in like a grand Hans Zimmer-esque way but like it'll just be a scene where like he's going uh to this uh we're weird church rehab trying to get information from somebody and like there's this building tense string arrangement that's playing that doesn't even necessarily go with what you're seeing on the screen but it kind of just adds to the disorientation of it all there's certain tracks that greenwood has on here that sound the most like radiohead than any of his other soundtracks (laughs) that he's done uh, obviously there's other tracks that, you know, don't sound anything like Radiohead on here, but like you said, there is, it's so varied the sounds that he has on here that there were a couple moments where I was like, Oh, there's some, there's some like guitars in mm-hmm. here that are kind of radio heady. This is nice. Yeah. I, I really think that this is like the funniest PTA movie that he's ever made. There's some like insane just moments in yeah. like five minutes in we have a scene of josh brolin like deep throating a chocolate covered banana and oh. i was like fucking dying laughing like is the he and just it. <laughs> he's like he gags himself with it and you see in the background just walking yeah in space. i there are a lot of cast shout outs we can give but i really Big really foot. uh josh brolin talk about the names of this movie i believe that josh brolin is <laughs> underrated at this point yeah he's really really funny he's so good in this he always is pitch perfect for whatever movie he's in he just isn't in enough great ones i think but my god he rocks in this and i wanted more of him i wanted more of the dynamic of him and joaquin trying to solve a crime together despite having direct opposite strategies yeah well it's funny because they go back and forth between having this like weird buddy cop story and it being like Tom and Jerry of him just like yeah. eating the shit out. I know. Of- and I was, I was let down a little bit because we go like a whole hour without seeing him yeah. with when we get like full setup for him being around and then he just fully disappears. Uh, 
I mean, and that's another, you know, that's what happens when you adapt a book that is about a sprawling ensemble. Yes. You know what I mean? It's really hard to juggle all these parts. It makes time for all these other great cameos. Yeah. And, and I would have, I mean, speaking of which, I would have liked more Owen Wilson, too, because he's fucking God, Owen, Owen Wilson. Wilson. Well, that's this amazing. is a lot of people have compared PTA. They said, like, he is the spiritual successor to Robert Altman. And Altman is kind of known for just having ensemble pieces with things like Nashville and stuff like that. And this is just such an ensemble piece like doc is in every scene but otherwise he's just kind of meandering around to all these different groups and all these fascinating people and you do want more from every single person i want more martin short give me an entire movie about martin short the dentist's life i think that was the best chunk of the movie it's so good it's It's so so good Uh, are we doing like a spoiler section or are we just kind of I don't know how much of this movie can be. I mean, we can kind of talk a little bit about Golden Fang stuff, um, but I mean, we can do some more cast shot. I mean, Joanna Newsom is in this mm-hmm. um, very. I mean, PTA loves his avant garde uh, female solo musicians. That's one thing we know for sure about the man. Uh, she's not uh, by trade an actress, but she does a great job. She's a narrator uh, in addition to playing like a pretty significant uh, visual role in the film. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, is she real? <laughs> I I don't I don't think that not. she's I don't think that she's real. Yeah, they, there's not enough there to confirm. There's like certain scenes where like she'd be in there with um Doc and uh <laughs> Shasta Faye Hepsworth, which another great moment is just uh Doc and Josh Brolin just continuously saying Shasta Faye Hepsworth. Yeah, Shasta Faye Hepsworth. Shasta Faye Hepsworth. So I I I have some thoughts on her character that I guess I would I would save for spoilers. So. Let's let's go ahead and put the bumper here. The The movie is not available on any streaming service. So you kind of have to go out of your way to watch it. It is a it was a huge, colossal bomb. It, uh, yeah. it made it had a budget of 30. It made 26. That's not including any of the marketing or anything for this movie. If you're if you're trying to follow along with our PTA watch through, it's it's worth checking out just to kind of check out his sort of uh, black sheep movie yeah. uh it, it's not a bad movie I, th- okay. I think it's actually a great movie yeah. but it has these like these things that in other pta movies are features in this one kind of become bugs a little bit even though it has incredible performances it does like, and it, he, th- joaquin phoenix in this movie yeah is so he's really so good he's really fun um and very funny when the script calls for it unfortunately i wish it had a little bit more because the slapstick moments with him are just like off the charts funny um it's it's a weird balance this movie because there's so much pta baked into it but this feels like the least pta of any pta movie right because for me because the script doesn't feel like it was written by him Yes, that. But there's moments that are incredibly PTA. Yeah, exactly. The, there, look, the look of it. The, the, the I mean, way yeah, the, the look shots alone, are the way that color shines in such an impossible way in every shot yeah. alone. It's just like, how do you do this? Yeah, I mean, there's some. There's are you using shots. different cameras than the rest yeah. of us? Exactly. That's <laughs> like, what, what are you using, say. bro? Like, I was about to say, it's like there's some moments where I'm just like, my mouth starts like dropping to the floor because I'm like, yeah, that's not. Wait possible. a second, like, so you you. You're shooting on film. Okay, I'll give you that. <laughs> but you still have like, what is it? The lens? Is yeah. it the film What stock? is going on is with this man's camera? <laughs> it's not normal, man. It looks 
unbelievable. Yeah, it's so it's it's kaleidoscopic. Like yeah. it's, it's just fucking gorgeous. So it's, if if for that alone, for just watching something that visually is impeccable, check it out. Even if the story doesn't quite reach the heights of his other movies. Yeah, I um, I this isn't this would not be a great uh first introduction to PTA. No way. Um. But there is a lot of stuff that I really admire about it. It is just kind of fascinating this period, this post there will be blood period of uh, PTA's life where he's trying to figure out everybody at this point, every production studio is like make there will be blood again. And PTA is like, no. So he's just kind of between this and the master, he's just kind of in this state almost similar to doc in this movie where he's just kind of floating like this in the master but just have such a like a floating quality to the to the movie and they're kind of dizzying too yes yeah a little bit nauseating i don't think that he really gets it quite back until phantom thread i think phantom thread is actually more of a sign of what the future of pta will be but if you if you want to be woozy if you want to be dizzy if that sounds like something you want to be when you're watching a movie then fucking dive into this thing because it's it's well made even though it's like whoa what's going on man um so we'll put the uh the bumper here for spoilers for inherent vice starting now so last last week i asked both of you to try to describe the plot of, of uh, the movie in 30 seconds. So now I'm going to try to do, I'm going to try to describe the plot of this movie in 30 seconds. Okay. So here we go. So uh, doc is a private investigator who is tasked with seeking, who is uh, trying to uh, <laughs> uh, kidnap slash uh, uh, kill this lady's uh, husband or boyfriend. And uh, there's this, cartel drug cartel that is involved in owen wilson works for the fbi and uh, josh brolin's trying to catch him and then they catch him and then uh, they're connected but then they're not okay well you i mean you did just kind of go through the movie uh i think this movie what i was saying about there's just two central plots is there is the central main mystery of what happened to shasta and um uh, what's the name of the other guy? The names in this movie are fucking insane. Like it is just it's wild. on purpose. I know to be confusing. I, it's so wild. They're the most bonkers name ever with a Christian Bigfoot. Uh, what is his name? Bigfoot something. I can't remember. It's something it's also Bigfoot. silly. Um, but really it says a uh, uh, Bjornsson Bjornsson Bigfoot Bjornsson Lieutenant Detective Christian F Bigfoot Bjornsson <laughs> That's incredible. I'm Fucking also I'm going to pull up the names of those two um, cops that are only in like one scene but their names oh, yeah, are so up. funny. Um so pretty much there's that central Moto mystery of trying, trying to find out what happened to Shasta and then there is the uh, the whole story of a daughter going missing and them trying to find that daughter. And then those two stories are linked together by the golden Fang. And another thing that wait, 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 say that one more time. So of course they're trying to find Shasta. That's how the movie is set up and everything else. And then there's also the, well, no, no. Cause she, 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 went wait, missing. so she is there. She is she missing. actually there or not in the first scene? Is she actually in his apartment? Yes, maybe. So maybe. why is she missing? 
Well, she just like left and nobody knew where she went because she went missing with this millionaire dude. Yeah, she goes missing out like right after yeah. that. Yeah, right. Yeah, she's gone. The whole she's gone. Thing. <laughs> their names. Um, their names, by the way, are Agent Flatweed and Agent Borderline. <laughs> Incredible. That made me laugh for like almost as long as anything did in this movie. That's so good. Just because these are throwaway characters and those are their names. Incredible. Shout out to this Michonne. Every scene in this movie could be a hallucination. Yeah. Well, I mean, okay. Another thing of PTA actively working to disorient you is kind of the use of like giving you misinformation on things like they go by that one place and they're like oh yeah it's named after the native american word and they're like oh no that's uh that's chinese or whatever they say that or japanese like there's that kind of disorientation that you have there and then even just with the golden fang itself that they're like it's a boat actually it's a drug cartel actually like it's also a rehab and it's a uh, metaphor for capitalism it is i mean that's that's one of the central themes about this movie is kind of the vertical integration of capitalism. And that's what this era in society is all about, about the late sixties, early seventies. It's kind of the death of the free loving uh, hippie movement. And it's more of just the rise of even more hardcore capitalism where it's just, it's everything is feeding into each other. Capitalism breeds more capitalism. It is that no more. Can you go down to the pussy ranch and just, by, by eating some pussy by watching someone eat someone else's pussy um he eats pussy oh yeah he comes here he eats pussy uh yeah <laughs> this movie shout another, out to hong chow i love her so yeah much. she's so good in this movie another very fun uh thing that this movie kind of harkens back to is how uh easy it was to just kind of lie back then like joaquin is just going to one place and saying he's one guy and then he just goes his somewhere disguise else is another guy great yeah it's it was just so it's so much easier to just be off the map back then um and then like you know through the 80s we almost you know like reaganism and then also like the the 24-hour news like we almost started craving sort of a surveillance state to avoid like you know hitchhiker murderers and serial mm-hmm. killers uh, no, I, I want to go back to just being able to fucking drift. Yeah, I want to just fucking. Where the well, biggest fear is like you look like a hippie. Are you part of Manson's crew? Yeah. Well, this this movie makes a point about like the hippie lifestyle as a whole and like what that sort of means in a larger sense and what what those people in that time were sort of starting what, what they wanted to accomplish with living that way. And, you know, you get to the end of the movie and through the the Brolin character, it's kind of revealed that like this notion of like wanting to be counterculture is just part of the system itself, you know. And and then through that, what the rehab thing? What's going on there? Yeah, yeah the rehab, rehab cult. It's all thing. like it's all self it's all part of the created. Same thing. Yeah, it's like the 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 rehab people are the same people who make the drug that gets the people addicted to be in rehab mm-hmm. and i all, i i just Brain. thought i i kept thinking about snowpiercer because at the end of snowpiercer spoilers for snowpiercer but uh it's revealed that the um rebel revolution to take over the train is just part of the train system like that's that they have built a system where the uprising is just another thing yeah. to keep in mind. It's a with, contingency. Like exactly. It, it, yeah. It exists. It's part of the plan. Yeah. 
uh, tragic. Another movie this uh, movie made me think of a lot was a Scanner Darkly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because of, you know, any scenes, uh, <laughs> the meandering conversation, pretty, pretty solid odds that any scene would veer off into total nonsense. Yeah. Or not. Well, not nearly as much as the scanner darkly, of course, but just like the odds that any scene you're watching, you have to be like, is this happening? Right. Well, yeah, there's that element. And yeah, you brought up the voiceover and like the voiceover will sometimes feed you information. And other times it just kind of goes on a whole thing about they were born under the moon of Aquarius and then like just going full <laughs> astrological. And you're like, what I tune this out or should I be watching what's on the screen or what, what should I, what's happening right now? Yeah. It's it, it, there's so many stretches where you're just like, you want to pay attention to it and catch every detail, but then you feel like you're not doing that. And then you feel like maybe should I like rewind the movie? Did I miss something important? Am I going to be like even more lost? And now I'm thinking and now I'm now I'm missing even more stuff while I'm thinking this. So then you're just caught in like a swirl. It was nice to see Joaquin Phoenix in such a more grounded role. Like the the role had a lot less physicality to it, a lot less just like brute animal Mm -hmm. uh, instinct. Like it's kind of a guy. Yeah. And he's really good. He's just really good. I, I honestly think he might be like the best actor that we have right now yeah i can't think of anybody who's better than him i mean he's my favorite actor working right now i just he is i watched in the last like now week i have watched uh gladiator the master and inherent vice and in all three of these movies he plays such drastically different roles from each other that it's incredible unbelievable that somebody could ever have that much range i think my favorite scene with him and you don't really even know at the time that's going to feed into this whole like, like, fuck the cops, fuck capitalism kind of message that this movie has. But whenever earlier on when they go to the little pool party, which I don't know if that is the Boogie Nights house, but if not, it looks like sure mm-hmm. as shit a lot like the Boogie Nights house. And there's just the cops like just partying everywhere and like just going in this cool little pool party and like Jade from the Pussy Ranch is there and they stumble into the tie collection that's just ties with naked women on them and yeah it's just so deeply bizarre and strange that I think that that was the point in the movie where I was like I just gotta let this movie wash over me exactly just kind of just let it happen to me and just pick up stuff along the way yeah I, I felt exactly the same way, especially because I had seen it before. And the first time I watched it, it didn't really have a lasting impact on me. I mean, I remember little bits and pieces here, but watching it a second time, I was like, I I don't remember any of this. <laughs> Owen Wilson in a foggy dock. <laughs> so yeah, good. sure. We, we just yeah, we get snippets of so many incredible like we get Reese Witherspoon in here. Dude, that shot, that's a one take yeah of, yeah. Of, oh sure enough, when they're dude. sitting on the bench mm-hmm. very very slowly coming in i was like pta man i so you it. know what if i uh if i was going to trim anything to get more of individual characters i think i'd trim out reese with so funny thing about that um she she filmed all her scenes like really quickly and pta like liked her so much and also joaquin phoenix is like really really close to her they worked together on some movie in like the mid-2000s and uh, re- like PTA was like, we're going to like rewrite this movie to give you more, actually. And she had to convince him not to. <laughs> 
So they were good. There was going to be more Witherspoon in here. I'm glad it wasn't. It could have been gone like full Magnolia and just been like a four hour movie. Yeah. Oh, also speaking of Scanner Darkly, this is just like this is all half ass trivia, of course. But um, uh, original pick for the role, RDJ. For oh. Joaquin's role? Yeah. I don't know how I'd feel about that. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. I've never seen RDJ in a in a PTA, but. Joaquin at this PTA point, he would have been like full on Iron Man. It would have been weird to see him in 2014 in a PTA movie. Yeah, because once he was Iron Man, he didn't do like anything else. He did the judge. Did he pass on the role or did they just go with Joaquin? Um, do you know, PTA, it, it says PTA wanted a he wanted to work with Joaquin again. And he decided that that was, you know, yeah, took precedence. Also, uh, RDJ said that he was too old for it, which he is, you know, older. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's very fast. Walk the line. Oh, walk the line. Yeah, yeah. They were Reese the Witherspoon. Together. She plays. There you go. Um, there you go. Mrs. Cash. Yeah, he said June, June Cash. PTA like in interviews was like, yeah, they have like their own little like shorthand with each other. Like they're very, very like in tune with one another. So they have great chemistry. It makes very clear in the movie. Like they rock together. Yeah, Reese just rocks. Yeah, no, Reese is great. I think that it just I didn't like. I don't know. Maybe like another scene or two would have helped her character, but it almost felt of anybody who felt like they were in a different movie. I felt that with I'm, Reese. I'm telling you, man, I think that PTA has too much love for pinch on novels. I think like, yeah. you know what I mean? I think that, that it ended up biting him in the ass because he really wanted to fully depict what he read in the book. Yep. And sometimes you really just can't do that. Um, you have to change. We got to talk more about Owen Wilson because Owen Wilson is so goddamn funny. And I think that's because like Owen Wilson has become a little bit more of a meme in culture. But now that I've been kind of going back through Wes Anderson's filmography mm-hmm. and everything like him Owen and, Wilson yeah. is just one of the most like naturally funny people ever. Yeah, him like, and he's so good in Bottle Rocket. Like yeah. he is like transcendentally funny in that movie. Yeah, I mean, in uh, all Wes Anderson movies, but I mean, even like 2014 is late. It, that's more contemporary Owen Wilson at this point. Like he's kind of been like he's past being the big star anymore, and now he doesn't really show up in that many quality things. But he is so good, and he's just. Talk about just disorienting. Every time you see him, he is playing a different person because he's like deep undercover, yeah. but he's like undercover with like six different organizations. <laughs> so great. He's a saxophonist and also he works for Golden Fang uh, in the rehab center, but also he's like protesting Nixon. And yeah, it's the scene where um, he sits down in like that last supper looking thing. Oh, my God. Talk about a perfect shot. Yeah, Jesus. That was beautiful. Yeah, it's, so it's unreal. Or how about Owen Wilson is an end the scene. But whenever they first go there because he is missing like the other central arc and uh, what they, what they talk about having a heroin baby and then they just oh kind of show and they're like, God. can I have that picture? Uh, do you have a picture I can take with you? Oh, <laughs> yeah. 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 That's like a That's like a scene it's, from like airplane. It's, like it's, it's like a goof, you know? Like, I almost wanted more it's of those. It's so slapstick. Yeah, more just like I, silly. G- I, I almost wonder if PTA just let some of these actors just fucking riff. That because, actress is so good in yeah. that fucking scene. With the teeth. Yeah, oh, like, Christ, she's good. Like, such a fucking, she's a, you know, chatterbox. You like long, yeah, long ass uh, monologue. And she just, she rules yeah, so Yeah, Jenna Malone. My God. Yeah. She's so fucking funny. That whole scene is hilarious. It's so good. It's so, so funny. Her whole, yeah, because her whole monologue is just like, 
again, it's just like it's a comedy monologue yeah. talking about like how she met him because she was had to puke and he was shitting in the same stall <laughs> and then all their puke and shit was mixed up and then they shot up together like <laughs> And there, she's recounting it as like this, so, yeah. such a romantic. Time. Yeah, and then she's like, "Anyway, here's my baby," and he's like, ah! <laughs> it's so good. "It just hands it back." Like, and he he's unfazed immediately. He has like a massive like freak out second. Yeah, just it's like, literally okay. like the, uh, the the Tim and Eric like celery man bit with Paul Rudd. And he's like, "Can I uh, see naked Tim, <laughs> the nude Tim?" He's like, "Oh my god, I'm okay." <laughs> Um, now Tana can get into. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's incredible. So, so many, so many, just fucking. Yeah, I mean, I am looking films. through the cast, and there are like I for, completely forgot Benicio del Toro was in this right? movie for a scene. Yeah, <laughs> he has awesome. a couple. He has like three. And, well, I mean, he's awesome in it. He too. is great. It's yeah. just there's he's just like another guy in here. Yeah, <laughs> like I can't commit you to memory right now. I need, yeah, movie. I need like double or like. I need I love all of them, but I need one of them to go away so I could have double of another one. Do you think that almost that there's there's two like the ensemble is too big. So like you're distracted when you see Benicio del Toro. It would be better if it was just some nobody person. You're like, oh, this is just kind of a middleman to get to. I think he fits in. I I, think there's just too many characters. I felt more uh, that way when I saw uh, Maya Rudolph. Well, Maya Rudolph does. She has like one line. Yeah, that, well, that's just because she's just, his wife. Yeah, that's just <laughs> she's PTA's wife. That's just that's like, my I my that. I but I do like the use of some stray characters that just show up for a scene like when uh, when Doc is taking the laughing gas and that one uh, girl. I don't even remember what her name is. What she her, looked uh, like she was from the 70s. Yeah. No, I mean, like perfect casting because I've never seen that person before. Wait a minute. But the. The, while he's doing the laughing gas, she's just like, are you going to pass that? And they take the laughing gas together while she's like giving him a lead on the story. And he tries to pick up and make a move on her. And she's like, I only have three ways. And then she walks out into the, the reception area. It's just like two dudes with like Nazi tattoos on their neck, like two yeah. giant men who could break Joaquin Phoenix. And I, I, so I don't remember if this is her, but I think you're talking about Belladonna, who is a porn star. Oh, oh really? Who, oh, wow. Who is rocks in this movie. Like, she really knocks it out of the park. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's who it is. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, she's like a porn star slash, like, you know, she, like, aged into being like a, uh, like, Belladonna Presents. You can see it on her IMDb. Like, Belladonna Presents Ass Bandits. <laughs> or whatever the, you know. Wanga, 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 wanga. But yeah, she rocks in this, man. Yeah. She's really, really. So, Catherine Waterston, we haven't talked about, is Shasta. Mm-hmm. Um. I'd only seen her in Fantastic Farts and Where to Beat Them or whatever. Um, oh, I knew, I knew, I knew her. From yeah, which she, she's also in Alien Covenant. Yeah, she's in Covenant. So in in Fantastic Farts, I I wasn't impressed Steve with that Jobs. movie as a whole. You know, like if I had seen that movie, I wouldn't have been able to tell you that Eddie Redmayne was any good. Right. So, but, but you were a huge fan of its sequel, The Crimes of Grindelwald. The, yeah, the yeah. that that really brought Wait, you she back. Was, uh, she was in Logan Lucky. Oh, yeah, I, I love Logan Lucky. Yeah. Um. I thought she was very good in this. She like Brie Larson vibes in her, her yes. look like that's the, the central casting thing with her. But um, she she gets a lot of monologues that are, you know, like I said, entirely disconnected from the rest of the movie. And so your your mind is almost left to wander during them because you're like, how is this related to anything at all? But I mean, she might have the key moment of the movie, which is the most uncomfortable wonder that PTA has scene. ever done. Yeah. The sex scene. That I is found like, it pretty incredible. It's like, it's incredible, but it is Ernie, you're, you're licking your lips. <laughs> it's, it's, 
It's so unsettling. You think you're going to cut. Like there's so many moments where like you feel like the scene is going to cut and it just keeps going and it's going because it's one of those it's one of those things that it's so difficult to watch because one it's just like lingering on this naked woman while she's talking but she's talking about how like all these other dudes fucked her while she while doc wasn't there and everything and we've talked about this before about how pta knows how to turn what would be normally a very sexual and intimate situation into something that is completely devoid of any kind of intimacy settling yeah. yeah and that's i mean we talked about that with the master with that big nude scene but this is the biggest example of that that it is yeah truly and then when like fucking joaquin starts like spanking her it's so and then he basically rapes her. Yeah, going back into like the fucking it's daddy fucked. issue. Like PTA obviously has some very severe daddy issues <laughs> how that many, has been expressed in many of his movies. And how, this is another example. How many uh, people do you think he has watched fuck his wife, Maya Rudolph? Over, over under like you, over under like 30 do you think oh you think that uh pta is a cuck yeah of course <laughs> i would i would argue that probably most film directors are cucks because they'd rather watch the action and yeah. be in control of it than like take part in it let's uh let's uh get um <laughs> this is not even a, i'm not joking right now let's get <laughs> like, this is wholly true and fiona I'm right. apple on this yeah maybe she uh please she has some insight oh absolutely anyway what i wanted to say though is that katherine waterson is so good in these moments because she is like chewing up dialogue. Like there's so much <laughs> like these are really, really dense uh, scenes for her to to bite through. And so much of it is just me like meandering. Yeah. It's not dialogue that like makes you feel like you're you're headed to some sort yeah. of like climax or anything like that. And, and I was just yeah. And I was really I was very, very impressed because, again, Fantastic Beasts, if that's all I've seen her in, then I'm not going to be impressed by her because, I, you know, I, like I wasn't impressed by uh like who's in there colin farrell right johnny depp mm-hmm. at the very mm-hmm. end yeah grindelwald Man, let's do an episode on Fantastic his crimes I, I you know what i've somehow still made it in the year 2020 without watching fantastic beasts or just acknowledging its existence and i'm gonna keep going so but you life. must acknowledge the crime she just <laughs> I'll, I'll just hop let's just watch crimes she, she has just a, like a really poo-poo role in that movie and she has a lot of really cringy scenes that just blow and i was like fully out on her and this movie her look is so I'm, drastically different it took me about an hour and a half to realize who it was yeah um and she rocks like yeah. i really like her um you talked about it before about the uh the martin short scene about how that's your favorite scene in the movie i think it might be that whole sequence of them doing cocaine well, and then getting in the it's car so, like weirdly stylized how it speeds up the yeah. editing in that scene as soon as they start doing like this mountain of cocaine and then it goes to them in that car scene that i mentioned earlier where it has the weird disorientation it kind of brings back you it sets you back into that early 70s post manson california vibe where they're like worried about any kind of hippies that they're part of some kind of cult that's going to murder people and right after that we go to the rehab scene which is that is just the best like 40 minute stretch of this entire movie is going from the dentist scene to the rehab scene because that's when you realize that oh golden fang is just like they're the modern day I, whatever you want to call them i mean they they now resemble about two dozen different yeah pfizer or whatever yeah yeah just different corporations that they martin all this stuff martin short though he is a fucking legend yeah he he's, a, so he's a he's a he's a monster and he gets to play this dude who is like 
not okay. He's <laughs> very unhinged. Well, this is the gift of PTA is there. There are so many actors who can eat up roles like this. Yeah. who just don't really get them because they're like funny. And funny actors get pigeonholed into shit. Yeah. Into doo-doo movies. But, you know, we've talked about before where PTA straddles this line between like serious and comedy unlike anyone else. And this movie is, is strange because it's like it should just be this mystery thing like this, this drama, mystery drama thing. But it's not. It's like very, very much a comedy. And it, it it finds ways to like lean into that and kind of take the mystery completely off the table and then put it back. And that's, you know, going back to my point about some of the things that that about his approach that work in other movies don't quite work in this one. And this one that that tonal shifting isn't as seamless as it is in other movies. But in this Martin Short sequence in particular, it basically removes the entire mystery off of the plate completely mm. and it's like let's just let's just fucking romp with these motherfuckers yeah. for a while and it's done in a way that doesn't feel jarring at all because the scene slowly ramps you up to that and there's no big cut there's no big moment where it's like okay now we're on cocaine and now we're fucking crazy you're very slowly led into that as the scene goes on and i I was just all the way on board. It was amazing. Amazing. Because before you know it, you're like, am I on Coke? Yeah. Did I just fucking take some Coke? Like, why is the why is the movie like jittering right now? Yeah, I am. Um, he also just the Martin Shore character. He's not in the scene, uh, but he has the best uh, the best piece of exposition. In the entire movie is when they're talking about Martin Short died. He died in a trampoline accident after doing a lot of cocaine. And they say like, yeah, you know, he used to force girls to listen to original Broadway cast albums during yes. sex. <laughs> and that, that was like the father of one of the victims. And it's, he was like disgusted so by that. He was like, he used her. Shit. She made her listen to Broadway. It's so good. That, yeah, that rules. <laughs> that was so good, man. And then then in the car, uh, Martin Short's like, I, I think I'm I'm having a I'm having a heart attack. I'm I'm having a panic attack right now. Just little moments like that. And Owen Wilson also has little tiny dialogue like that that just you'd in any other movie you'd just kind of pass it on. But when they're delivered by these actors and they're coming from PTA, it's just like, God damn, this is this is something special. Like I, I can't quite think of the line, but it's towards the end, right? I think it's like the final time that we see Owen Wilson right before he goes. He's reunited with his woman. Mm. He says something when when Doc picks him up from the rehab. I can't remember the line for the life of me right now, but it's just so perfectly delivered. Oh, he goes, um, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so I, I did want to talk about that rehab sequence because I also think that that rehab sequence is right up there with me from whenever they like first come in there and they're like, I mean, you were talking about how easy it is to just assimilate and just say like, ah, yes, I am a doctor just here to do some yeah. uh, looking into things, um, which I mean, we skipped over that he's his name is Doc and he just works out of a doctor's office. Yeah. Just hitting that barefoot. Yes. Barefoot. Fully barefoot. Very good. Um, but when they go into the rehab facility, that's when they 
explicitly say like that they are working on a vertical integration model to like they feed them the drugs and then they come here um they're playing a burke stodger marathon who's this like fucking anti-counterculture guy who's just like this wasn't made in russia this was made in the great united states of america mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh i don't remember who the dude was the doctor was showing him around. i was like lip syncing his lines oh that doctor man was awesome so good and like who one on scene. earth was that? i don't know who that is i feel like i've seen him before oh he's like a, that goodness. guy or something but he is he's, he's so, so good in that one sequence it was like snowpiercer vibes again so, yeah so well, brainwashed there's there's a moment in that sequence that lee brought a great great point about and uh, you know you can you can apply this to like pretty much any scene in the movie but i feel like it rings truest in this sequence where Joaquin's performance is so fucking good. It's so, so incredible that you can see in his eyes a person who is so high out of his mind that he becomes paranoid. You know that feeling, folks? Uh, Well, BAM listeners, we we don't advocate the usage of illicit substances, but if you partake in certain substances, you know that this feeling of paranoia that is all too familiar when you're surrounded by other human beings and you're so blasted that you start to fold into yourself because (laughs) you are so freaked out that everybody knows how high you are Mm -hmm. and you, you don't know what to do about it because you're, you can't stop being high. And there's tiny moments in Joaquin's performance where in his eyes, you can see these tiny little realizations yeah. of like, oh, God. Well, we haven't even gotten to, Where the, am I? What am to I the very end, uh, but we can <laughs> save the very true. end. He, yeah, he. I mean, Joaquin Phoenix uh, knows what it's like to be high. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, there's uh, just in that moment where he's like finally uh, sees the guy he's been looking for. He's like, where's Shasta? Where is she? Like his face is just like filled with like all this kind of tension just like please give it to me and he's just like go away little hippie <laughs> really good um another moment of that scene that i love is uh when they walk into the room of all the other people who work at the hospital and there's the guy with the swastika on his mm-hmm. neck and doc is like is, is that a swastika on his neck and the woman's like no it's an ancient hindu symbol meaning all is well yeah <laughs> okay well this Perhaps we shouldn't pay any attention to him. (laughs) This connects to the moment later in the movie where we see that guy again. Yeah. And he gives uh, Joaquin what what even PCP joint. (laughs) Yeah. PCP joint. Um, Whoa. Yeah. This is why it's it's kind of like a don't uh, don't leave your drink unattended at a party. Uh, Don't hit a joint that a random Nazi gives you. um, Swastika face. If you say so, bro. Whatever. (laughs) So again, Joaquin's performance in that scene after he hits that joint, it's like, this guy is unbelievable. Like you're right there with him. You, it's, it's almost like he's not even acting at that point. Like he for real hits some shit. Yeah. And his reaction to it is amazing. And then he gets put in the cell fucking strapped up to this pipe and he takes out a little cut up credit card out of his boot. He just keeps it there. Like just in case you can tell this is not the first time (laughs) that this has happened that he was like, I have to know, like I have to have something to get me out of here. Why else would you just have like a shank in your boot? So good. So good. 
He breaks out. And then, then we get a moment that seems to hearken to a lot of what these movies or what this to, to movies that this movie kind of feels like, like a French connection type of thing where he grabs the gun and he fucking kills two dudes. <laughs> and again, my point about, is this a hallucination? We don't know. Did he actually kill two guys? We don't know. Who knows? <laughs> this is the moment where he's just like, did I hit you? Like, yeah. he's just, <laughs> it's so uncinematic. Yeah, man. Like that guy's going to be like, uh, no, nah, man, I'm good. No, nah, you <laughs> miss me, dude. No, I'm, I'm fine. Um, but yeah, so this, this scene, it's like, it just reminded me of like, this is like a Gene Hackman in the French connection mm-hmm. type of moment. Like this is like a hard boiled, like PI type yeah. of thing, like cracking the case, getting to the bottom of it. And then he goes down and who's there? Bigfoot with the drugs, loading them up in the car. These crooked caps. Yeah. And again, it's like. Is any of this real? Is any of this happening? Is he really there? What are we seeing? But the movie doesn't ever want to give it away. It doesn't want to make a solid point in either direction of is this happening or not? Because, again, you're in his head and you don't know. To him, it it's happening. It's right in front of him. It feels real. But it's so dizzying and woozy and dreamlike that you're always kind of doubting it. Yeah. It, uh, I mean, that is a through line throughout, but especially at the very end of this movie, like the last scene of this movie, which is him just like sitting in his apartment, just chilling, just rolling a joint and everything. Like, cause that's the thing about him. He's a private investigator. He's really fucking bad at his job. Awful. He does not do anything. His notepad. So I have, I have a note. Uh, I have one of my notes on here is that, uh, uh, doc's notepad looks a lot like me when I'm taking notes for a movie, when I'm just like (laughs) something Spanish, (laughs) something Spanish, sun pouring dad a drink like those are notes that i have in my thing things that if you looked i would look like i'm like a crazy person who does not know english um it's so good um but then he's there at the very end and fucking bigfoot just busts down his door and like he's just like let me hit that hits the joint and then just eats the fucking joint and then picks up the tray table and starts eating all this weed and the look of horror on Joaquin's face. Joaquin starts like gyrating like, oh, he's like he sheds a single tear. Yeah. yeah, It's so good. It's so like otherworldly. Like it's not. Anything. So this scene, this movie is so wild that by the point, by the time you get to this scene, you're just kind of like, sure. Like, all right, he's eating the ash. Like, let's fucking do it. But if you were to clip that out and just watch that scene by itself, it's like, wait, what the fuck? (laughs) What in the fucking world is happening? But you've just watched two and a half hours of like the most bizarre shit you've seen. And that scene hits and it's just like part of it. It's part of the tapestry. You're you're not as like. I guess that's kind of like the magic trick that this movie pulls is that it's able to have this kind of scene at the end and not have it feel out of place Mm. in the context of the movie. And I think, well, 
so since we're kind of wrapping up our thoughts on inherent vice here, um, I do actually, I'll send you the link to it. One of the things I think that was from this article that I was reading, it's an old Grantland article article by Wesley Morris. Um, shout out to Wesley Morris, um, about it where he kind of talks about one of the things about this movie, about why it does work is because this is a movie about change, mm-hmm. about just the change in society and change in culture, and change in characters. Most and PTA the only movies. person who does not change is the lead character. Doc is the exact same person at the end of the movie as he was from the beginning. While everything in the world is changing around him, the gold fang and all of its Lolita Express kind of glory that it has, uh, it is this evolving world that we have here and he's just kind of still just like chilling on his couch, just smoking weed. Gonna wait to get like another call to like investigate something that he'll just do. I, how does he make money is my question. Who knows? What, he, well, yeah, maybe. Well, I mean, think about the scene with Michael K. Williams, right? This guy gets out of jail, cuts him in on a job to like go grab some money from somebody that he owes him. That probably floats him over until the next one. Yeah, I guess so. You know, the guys like that. You didn't have to ha- make money in the 70s. You just kind of like got it. Yeah, you yeah. just kind of floated along. It was before uh, real estate prices went up. You could just live yeah. on the beach in fucking you would right have outside a, of L.A. You would have a Ouija board that would give oh you a, God. a phone number. One of No, one of <laughs> my favorite uh, scenes in the entire movie is like that flashback scene because it's so like weirdly sweet and romantic yeah, in a is. movie that does not have that is them like just so strung out that they just need something. And that is definitely like not a thing that happened that they called a number and they're like, Hey everybody, if you need your heroin, come on down to this location. Yeah. Then he goes back there and then the, the golden fang building is there. Yeah. That's, that was a great moment. It's like, Oh my God, it's all coming together. It all clicks. It all makes sense. It's all connected. Ah, um, I had one final thought about the Josh Brolin ending. And actually, I brought up Lee a few times. This is something she brought up. I, I don't think I would have arrived this arrived at this uh, on my own. But she was basically saying that what if. You know how we've talked about like. PTA's take on love, you know, and all of that. And yeah. you think that the love story is with uh, Watterson. Um, Shasta between her and Doc but what if the actual love story is between Doc and Bigfoot yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that's 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 what I think I mean PTA once again he loves himself a broken relationship yeah exactly but it's like what is the line that they that he says like like I'm not your brother or like but you could use a keeper something like that yeah, yeah. and it's like well what if Bigfoot is this like repressed homosexual who is so like alone in his awful marriage. His wife is just like, like I am, I'm asking you phone. for one day. His son literally is just pouring Bigfoot a drink while he's on his day off, like calling Doc, just like, what's up, asshole? Yeah. <laughs> and he is like hopelessly in love with Doc, but he could never admit it and he could never pursue it. So instead he eats he, a big fucking handful. And of instead he's pursuing his well, career in acting. banana too. Oh, of course. Yeah. Dude, him, him acting is also just fucking hilarious. Josh Brolin doing bad cop acting. It's great. 
TV. That's great. I mean, him and Joaquin together. Like, that's what I'm saying. If yeah, if I could watch if this is our central love story, give me more of it. I would. Yeah. There, there's like probably like two hours of the movie without this, you know. And my my final thought on the movie as a whole is, I felt like, you know, when you're playing with a cat with a cat toy, mm. and you keep moving the cat toy away so that the cat never reaches the toy i'm the cat mm. watching this movie i'm i'm the donkey going up the mountain with a carrot uh sticking <laughs> sticking up over me <laughs> on a string pta is the cat toy mm-hmm. i doesn't this movie just like it it already feels like like give it 20 years and this is going to be like a huge cult film i feel like yeah. it already is kind of becoming a little bit of a cult film but I feel like even with when we have like 30, 40 years worth of PTA movies to look back on, a lot of people will come back to this one and be like, this was actually like one of his like lost mm-hmm. gin gems that got it's I mean, yeah, everything. it's still it's just so like worth your time. It's incredible. Um, but I, you know, I got this has to be the lowest out of my rankings for yeah. him. And it's not particularly high for either of you guys, if I'm not mistaken, it's, it's based the lowest on your for ratings me. on Letterboxd. Yeah, it's the lowest for me too. It's I, a, it's the second low. I mean, I like, that's the thing is that I love this movie, but I just love his other movies more. I mean, I, I, I think haven't I have seen Heart Eight, so I'm just assuming Heart Eight would be below this, but. Heart Eight's below this for me. I, uh, great, I will say, I like Heart Eight too. It just, uh, you can tell that PTA wanted to go more PTA with it and they kind of took that away from him. But Heart was his episode zero yeah um he i mean he just says that boogie nights was his premiere like if you ask him directly he doesn't even acknowledge heart eight yeah all right we bought a mic well thanks for listening uh next week we might have uh lord of the rings podcast for you Mm -hmm. jumping into hunter's Mm -hmm. um uh oscar watch through once again i might have a special guest on for that do a big retrospective of you old Peter Jackson. Mm-hmm. And then after that, guys, new movies. We have a new Charlie Kaufman. We have Mulan on Disney Plus and a little um, uh, Chris Nolan joint. Well, you forgot the biggest piece, the biggest new movie that we have. Oh, the new, new mutants coming to theaters tonight. Like right now, right now it's playing. Is it really? Yeah, I'm catching a midnight showing. Oh my god! I'm not catching a midnight. You're showing. gonna transcend. Yeah. Into the fucking coronavirus. <laughs> <Into> the coronavirus. <laughs> god, if I got coronavirus from New Mutants, you know how lame that would be. Of it all the things lame. for me to see. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I hope in a much more cool fashion. I hope I get it at work, <laughs> which is where I'm most likely to get it. And then you can just walk on over to Tenet there. Uh huh. Yeah. Just well, I mean, on the, honestly, Drew, I think I I would recommend you just going ahead and getting it now. Mm-hmm. Get them antibodies, and then you'll be safe. You can see all the movies. Yeah, and I can uh, donate my. I'll sell my plasma on like the dark web. Mm. I'll take it. You don't have to go dark web. I'll take it right now. Yeah. Let's shoot up, baby. Just just take how much plasma can you give away? I don't know. A lot? A couple gallons. Yeah. <laughs> a couple gallons. You're a very bony man, so you got a lot of plasma. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening. Follow us online at We Bought a Mike. Email us, we bought a mic at gmail.com. Thanks to Brian and Brett for donating. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Love you.
kind of want to see Hard Eight. Oh, okay. We I don't know if we should do a whole ep on it. No. Yeah. Doesn't require a whole, but that that could be a good one that we could just do Hard Eight and then a whole PTA wrap up like rankings. That's and a stuff. good idea. Because I want to rewatch Phantom Thread too before yeah. I do like a definitive rankings. Yeah. And we can talk about those two pictures that came out of Bradley Cooper. Uh, and what <laughs> whatever yeah. is going on with that yeah <laughs> did you see that on twitter no bradley cooper in the new pta movie yeah wait yeah. pictures yeah set photos <laughs> no yeah, like like paparazzi set Here, photos let me pull them up <laughs> like just figure out what's going on with that i whatever it is i i want it i need it like right now i can't believe that they're shooting a new pta movie in the middle of a pandemic. That's amazing. I, Paul Thomas really Anderson does not give a fuck. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> the Where are the curlers? Oh, baby. Yeah. <laughs> that hair. <laughs> that's high. That's one of the Hyams. Mm. One of the Hyams. One of the Hyams. Is, is that higher? Um, Who's this? You know? Oh, the other kid? I, hey, I, I don't, don't know. know. That is. The next uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Maybe super young. Why don't they just get Jesse Plemons back? Let's get the master two where Jesse Plemons takes his father's place. All right, let's let's start the show. Let's do this thing. Ready? Three, two, one.